open your Bibles to the book of Jude today. The book of Jude. It's the second to last book in the New Testament. Just before the book of Revelation. Um, We finished the Gospel of Mark last week. Um, We're going to be in the book of Jude. Uh, probably a couple of weeks today and, and next week, and uh, and then we're going to start the Book of Romans uh, in uh, in a few weeks. So you can look forward to that. Um, as you guys are making your way there, I'm going to tell you a story. I, Brenda and I several years ago um, we bought an RV, and uh, and it was a pile of junk. Um, you know, they say that the two happiest days in a man's life are the day he buys his boat and the day he sells his boat. And I'll tell you a modification on that. The one happiest day in a man's life is the day that he sells his RV. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, um, and so we bought this, this pile of junk. And we're going on vacation. Didn't realize it was a pile of junk until we took it out on our first road trip. Blew a tire, right, just out of town. And, you know, you leave O-Dark 30. So it's there, darkness. We're changing a flat tire on a big old RV. And... And so, so we got it done, finally, got back on the road. We made it to the grapevine, the top of the grapevine. And we blew a second tire. And when this second tire blew, it blew the floor out of the RV. Like, you know, huge boom, you know, and I'm pulling, struggling to get this thing over. I finally get it over to the side of the road and stopped right smack in the middle of the runaway truck lane there on the grapevine at the top, just where you don't want to be. Uh, if anyone's going to use a runaway truck lane, it's there. And so we're right in the middle of it. I got truckers honking their horn, flying by me. Coaches swaying every time they go by. Brendan and the kids were sound asleep. They get up. They're in their jammies, barefooted, whatever. And my friend uh, Dave Shepherdson, passed. Dave of Calvary Chapel Nuevo uh, caravanning with us. He's in the RV in front of us. So my kids scramble out of the RV with Brenda, running across the gravel of the runaway truck lane to get in the safety and security of their RV. Uh, And Brenda, on her way out the door, she says to me, I smell propane. I'm like, Lord, just blow the thing up already. And so... (laughs) So they run out, and so I'm frantically looking for the source of this propane leak in, in this, this bomb now, and I open up the kitchen cabinet to, to look in there, and I'm looking at ground. The whole floor is blown out, and my friend Dave sticks his head up from the outside. He's looking at me as I look at the cement and him, and, and sarcastically, he's like, I think we can fix it. <laughs> I'm like, if you have a road flare, maybe I can fix this, so... Anyway, we, uh, we got the propane turned off, and, and it was dualies and only one tire blew, so I was able to drive the thing off the freeway. Drove down the hill. Uh, there's a cattleman's kind of restaurant there. You guys all know it. You've been out on the five there, the, the white picket fence. I parked the thing there, and we, I'm, I'm getting to Spirit West Coast now. I mean, I've had two blown tires. I'm mad. We are going. You're not going to defeat us, Satan. We're going to Spirit West Coast to worship the Lord. We piled all of our kids, all of our family. There's ten of us now in Dave's RV. Um, and, uh, you know, you want to talk about Beverly Hillbillies. It was great. We move all of our food in there and... And it turned out just to be just memory, a lifetime memory, and it's just awesome. Our kids sleeping on the dashboard and on the floor and <laughs> left the RV unlocked, hoping somebody had set fire to it while I was gone. And uh, so, <laughs> anyway, now I tell you that story to tell you this story. Um, Brenda and I are on the RV lot. We're shopping for a new RV. Not a new one, but a new used RV. And, um, you know, God rest this, this old RV. There we are, and we're looking and we're shopping. And uh, 
I'll just say this about RV salesmen. If you're an RV salesman here today, I'm sure you're a wonderful person. And this, isn't, I'm not, this doesn't refer to you. Uh, and if you're a used car salesman, this doesn't refer to you. I'm sure you're a wonderful person. God bless you. So I'm not talking about you. But most RV salesmen will, would, would sell their mother. To, to, to make a deal. And, and so, you know, when I go there, every word out of their mouth is, is a lie. I'm, I'm just like, you know, you're looking at me and you're lying to me. Your mouth is moving. How do you know when an RV salesman is lying when his mouth, lips are moving, you know? And uh, except for you, who's here if you're an RV salesman. So, um, so you know, the, the, they're going, we're going and we're looking for the RV and, and, and that you get there and they, whoop, they're vultures, man. They're all on you, all these guys. And so, for me, they're a necessary evil. They unlock the RV. They kind of help to to get the ball rolling if you're going to buy one. But you know, I don't. They don't. I don't have much use for the RV salesman after that. But Brenda is asking them all sorts of questions. I'm getting madder and madder. And and and, and you know, Brenda just talk a buzzard off a meat wagon, man. Just talking, asking the guys all these questions. And um, um. Uh, and I'm getting angry and frustrated with it. Finally, I go, Brenda, what are you doing? You know they're lying to you. Every question you ask, I can't even listen because I know the guy's lying to me. And Brenda says to me, if I ask enough questions of enough RV salesmen, I'm going to recognize the truth. I'm like, well, that's smart. That's pretty good. She's like, they don't, they, you know, there's not, they don't have some used RV salesman union where they all get together to, to co- corroborate their lies, you know. I'm like, well, you know, that's really smart. And, and you know, spiritually speaking, there is a similar dynamic in the world in which we live. In the world in which we live, we've got all these spiritual RV salesmen that are trying to huck their wares and, and sell us a bill of goods at every single turn. Have you guys seen the, the, the coexist bumper stickers on cars? Have you seen that? There's, a, there's this bumper sticker has the word coexist and the the letters of the word coexist are all spelled out by different religious symbols the c is the crescent star the or, you know the crescent moon and the star for islam and the the o is uh, or uh, is a um, it's a, a wicca pentagram um, the e is a, the theory of relativity formula e equals mc squared the x is made from the star of david for from the from the jewish faith um, the I is dotted with the Buddhist karma wheel. The S is the Tao symbol for Taoism. And the T is comprised of the cross of Christ for, for Christian faith. And the message of this bumper sticker is that all the world's religions are beneficial and good. And that if kumbaya, if we all just get together and love one another, if we all just take the Rodney King school of theology, can't we all just get along... This is their whole message. Let's embrace one another. We can live happily ever after. I can take some of your religion. You can take some of my religion. And oh, doesn't that just sound great? I mean, God's a God of love. And it's just peace and harmony and puppy dogs and butterflies. And let's just, let's just all get along. And like the RV salesman that I encounter... If I swallow everything in, in the message that the world's trying to shove down my throat and that this sticker is saying, I'm going to find myself on the side of the road in the spiritual runaway truck lane with, with a hole in my theology and, and just be in a world of hurt, a heaping help of trouble. Now, the coexist bumper sticker, I want you to know, it represents a growing belief system that we find in America today. 
And the growing belief system that America holds to today is they believe in a God of tolerance. Uh, let's tolerate each other because there are no absolute truths. Your truth is good for you. My truth is good for me. Who's to say who's right? Uh, you know, let's, we can just tolerate one another. We can get along. We can share the good portions of all of our faith and, and, and we'll all find utopia together, you know, if we just go along in, in love and harmony. My personal favorite, uh, sarcastic statement, uh, is when the people say, you know what? Jesus can't be the only way. That's just so narrow. That's so narrow, okay? He can't, we just, but if we, if we embrace all faiths, we'll find the truth somewhere in the middle. And my response to that is, you know what? Life is narrow. Life is narrow. The, the rules of, of science, that, that, the unescapable rules of nature, they're narrow rules. I can go on a bridge and say, you know what? Gravity is so narrow-minded. And jump off of that bridge and, and feel like, you know, hey, this is just, just narrow finding. I'm going to find out in a hurry, yeah, the truth is narrow. I, you know, it, there is a narrow road that leads to life, the Bible says. You know, I can break the law of physics. I can take my golf club and I can stand in front of that brick wall and I can haul off and hit that, that golf ball as hard as I want and it's going to meet me coming back into my teeth... Because the, the, the law of physics, you know, just says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I, I can not want that to happen all day long. I can believe that that's narrow, but it's going to happen. Or I can take a propane tank and, and decide, like, you know, a guy that, that I responded to in Palm Desert when in my days of being a paramedic firefighter took a propane tank and decided that he was just going to open that thing up uh, on his back patio because he was moving and he didn't want to carry this full heavy propane tank, so he just decided, well, I'll just open it up and just let, you know, let the gas escape. And he didn't realize propane's heavier than air. So it just escaped all into his back patio. And, and you can say, well, you know what, I don't like the law of ther- thermodynamics. You know, I just want to be able to, you know, whatever. I can tell you, when that propane finds its, its ignition source, you're going to discover that the laws are very narrow, but you're going to discover it too late. And it's the same way spiritually. Spiritually speaking, the law is narrow. God's way is narrow. It's a narrow road that leads to life, Jesus said, and few find it. We're going to read that in a minute. There are physical laws, they're narrow. There are spiritual laws, they're narrow. And I'm all for loving people. I'm all for saying, oh, you know, can't we all just get along and love one another? I'm all for that. But listen, When you understand that hell is hot and forever is a long time, that's when you have to draw the line and say, okay, look, my, the road to tolerance ends right here. The road to tolerance ends when you start telling me that there's another way to, to, to find a relationship with God outside of Jesus Christ. And, and we're called to take a stand. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. That's a good quote. Let me say that again. Tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. So if you're not convicted about thermodynamics, open up the propane tank. You'll be convicted soon enough. Uh, If you're not convicted about the laws of God, you know, follow after the coexist lifestyle. But you will be convicted soon enough. And in both instances, it's too late. When you find your conviction after the fact, it's too late. That man who opened his propane tank there in Palm Desert before he moved, he didn't need to move after that. 
we pronounced him dead. Because he violated physical law. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about spiritual law. And I, and I start with that because that's the urgency of Jude's message here. As he writes this, this little letter, one chapter, 25 verses, which we'll be lucky if we get through seven verses today. I was prepared to do the whole thing, but you guys will leave here feeling like I fed you from a fire hose if I try to do the whole thing. So we'll, we'll, we'll finish somewhere about verse seven, I think, but pick up the rest of it next week. But Jude is, it's an urgent letter saying, hey, listen, there's, there's false teachers coming in. And and you need to fight the false doctrine. You need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. And you need to contend for the faith. Really interesting word. We'll we'll research that in a minute. Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20. and, And he told them this. He said, I'm not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And here in the book of Jude, it's like maybe 30 years after Paul penned those words or or spoke those words, which were later penned to the Ephesian elders. And here in in Jude's instance, we don't know exactly who he was writing to, but based on the context, it it seems like he's writing to Jewish believers, uh, Jewish members of of the church. We don't know exactly where. But it's, it's only, we know chronologically it's written about 30 years after Paul spoke those words to, to, uh, to the Ephesian elders. And the exact same thing happened. The same thing that Paul warned about, now Jude is facing. Uh, Jude uh, chapter 1, let's, let, let's go ahead and start. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Interesting, Jude calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The, the Greek word is doulos, it means slave. Jude says, I'm a slave of Jesus. Now I say that's interesting because he further identifies himself as the brother of James. The, brother, the James that he's talking about was the James who was the head of the Jerusalem church. This guy was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. And that makes Jude also the son of Mary and Joseph. Makes him the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why do we say the half-brother? Well, because Jesus' father is God. And so here he is, the half-brother of Christ. Now, he, he doesn't mention him anywhere. He says, he says a, a, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, now if it were me, that would be on, on my business card. It would be larger than my name. I'm Jesus' brother. It's nice to meet you. Oh, you need to know my name? It's Ted. But, you know, I mean, I would, that would be at the top of my resume. But no, he says he's a, he's a, he's a slave of Jesus. And he, and he said this, and, you know, he originally, he didn't believe in Christ. If you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus' brothers thought he was, he was nuts. They, they went to go, you know, he was in a house, and they're like, hey, your brothers are here. And they're like, let's, let's before you hurt yourself, Jesus, let's take you home kind of thing. This was their attitude. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. What made them a believer? What made him say, I'm a slave of Christ? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we celebrated last week. They saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead and it was undeniable, unmistakable. He is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He was a believer. And, and this is the greatest testimony, by the way, uh, of, of his faith, is that all of these disciples who followed after Jesus were, were willing to give their lives for the Lord after his resurrection before they all abandoned him. After Jesus rose from the dead, everybody w- w- was was ready to give their lives and, and the 
all the disciples did pay with their lives. James, uh, here, he, who, whom Jude refers to, James probably at this point has been dead a couple of years. And he was killed by the Jews, pushed off of the top of the, the, the temple, and when the fall didn't kill him, they picked up rocks and started to beat him to death with rocks. And as they were beating him to death with rocks, he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And gave his life and sacrifice in that way. And now here Jude, after seeing the torturous death of Christ, after seeing the torturous je- death of James, after witnessing for many of the apostles their, their torturous deaths for their faith, great profound uh, truth there and, and proof of the truth that they would be willing to give their lives. Jesus, I am your slave. I will follow you anywhere because I know that as you have died and risen again, so too, my hope as it's placed in you, I will die, I will rise again. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. And, and so we have the hope that we will be risen with Christ. He says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. He said, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord into the lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, uh, Jude says, I, I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation. He's not talking about, you know, it's common as in cheap. He's talking about it's common as we share this in common. Jude's saying, look, my desire was to write you guys a letter just talking about what we have in common. <laughs> we're all a bunch of blowits. We're all sinners. And, and God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for our sins. As we talked about last week, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Everyone who calls upon His name, believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth that, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He rose on the cro- uh, rose from the dead after dying on the cross for our sins. All who make that profession of faith are saved. And we have that in common as we're believers. It's not though, hey, you know, you found the magic 12 principles for achieving a better you and now you found enlightenment and you figured out the way to get right with God. No, you're common just like me. I'm a blow it. Are you a blow it? I'm a, you're a blow it too? How you doing, man? You, you know Christ is your Savior. This is what he wanted to talk about. But he says he, he was moved by the Spirit to write uh, a, a different message. He says, I, I write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly. For the faith. Now, if you're a note taker, circle that word contend and next to it write the word agonize. Because that's what that word means in the original language. That is the, the literal definition of that word contend. It means to agonize in, 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 the, in, in and for the faith. And it's a picture, it's an athletic term. It, it, it's a picture of agonizing in an athletic contest. How, how many of you guys watch you know, the, the cage fighting, the ultimate cage fighting? Is he a show of hands? Those of you who want to admit it, come on, more of you watch it than that. Um, my wife hates it when I watch that. We were watching it for the first time and she was horrified watching all the violence. And, and then she looked and she's like, what's that on the mat? I'm like, that's blood, honey, right there. That's blood. <laughs> she's like, well, the guy's not even bleeding. I said, no, that's from one of the fights before. She's like, ooh, that's disgusting. I'm like, that's awesome. Those guys are beating each other. It's amazing. 
This is the guy, I want you to have that, that vision in your mind. This is what he's saying. The Spirit of God leading Jude to write this. He's saying, look, men have crept in to hijack believers, to lead them straight to hell. And what I need you to do, God speaking to, do, to Jude through his Spirit, is say, I need you to tell the people they need to fight for the faith. And fight to, you know, MMA, man, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. What it's, is it MMA? I'm looking at Bob. Would you know Bob? Whatever. You're saying yes. Okay, MMA. <laughs> Ultimate fighting, man. Get in the cage. Get bloody. Fight for the faith. That's what he's saying here. And so, you know, we, we go, okay, what does that really mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It's not the cookies and milk kind of Christianity. Okay? It's not the, oh, Jesus loves you and, and God bless you. And, and, and it's true. Jesus does love you. God bless you. But it's not the kind of faith that's cookies and milk faith. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration. It might offend some of you. I'm just going to tell you up front. Bear with me. And, and, and listen, to what I, listen to the message that, that, that I'm trying to convey here. So I'm not trying to throw a brother under the bus, but, but it, it's, it's a perfect illustration of this. I want to read to you a, a transcript from a television show. Larry King Live, Larry King had Joel Osteen on his program. And I just want to read you, these are, these are their words, okay? Joel Osteen to, with, with Larry King. Larry King asks the question, he says, hey, Joel, what if you're Jewish or Muslim, you don't accept Christ at all? What, 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 what then? Joel Osteen says, you know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. I, I don't know. Larry King, well, it... If you believe you have to believe in Christ, then they're wrong, aren't they? Osteen, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know. I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. Now... (laughs) Let me, let me clarify for you, okay? This is, this is my commentary. I just want to insert this. I'll go back to the transcript in a minute. But the word of clarification, he says, he says, I know they love God, right? Okay. Which God do they love? When, when you look at India's main religion, 80% of, of the country, their, their, their religion is Hinduism. And I'll just tell you up front, I, I, I freely confess, I don't fully understand Hinduism. I, I, I basically Googled it and tried to get a, a condensed understanding, and it's so complicated and so so complicated, it's really hard to just pin down to a, to a basic description. But I'm going to give you my best shot, and I'll just admit, this is, this is an oversimplification and probably misses a lot of their, their faith. But, but really, the simplified idea of Hinduism is that, they're, they're, yes, they're devoted to a single God, but they believe that there are many gods. So basically, they just pick the one that they're going to be devoted to. So they believe in a plurality of gods, many gods. And um, so, you know, when Joel says, I know they love God, I would just point out to you that, yes, but they don't love the God of the Bible. They don't love the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They They don't love the God that can save them from going to hell. They don't love the God that sent His only begotten Son that whomsoever should believe would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the God that leads to heaven and that's not the God that they believe in. And and he says, the other thing I just want to comment on when he says, uh, I know they love God and he says, I don't know, I've seen their sincerity. Can, Can I just tell you, I watched a news show last week about a 19 year old kid who married his anime doll. Okay? 
he, 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 did you see the show? Did you see the report? This kid, he's got this, this life-size anime doll, and he married it. And, and I could just imagine, I mean, just, just, you're his dad. You're his mom. And he comes to you, he says, Mom, I found the girl of my dreams. And, and are you going to be on Larry King saying, Oh, I know he loves her. No, you're not going to say that. You're going to commit the kid. You're going to, if you're my son, you'd be like, okay, when you wake up from the nap, I'm about to put you in. <laughs> let's have a talk here. All right, let's go back to the transcript. So King, King asks him the next question. He goes, well, how about abortion or same-sex marriages? Joel Osteen. Yeah, you know what, Larry? I don't go there. King, you have thoughts, though. I have thoughts, but I'm not going to condemn those people. I tell them all the time, our church is open for everybody. King, you don't call them sinners? I don't. Uh, Is sin a word you don't use? Larry King asks. Osteen, I don't use it. Now, let me just say this. You know who does use the word sin? God uses the word sin. Jesus uses the word sin. It's used over 830 times in the Bible. And so if Joel Osteen says that he doesn't use the word sin, then what I will tell you is that he's not teaching the full counsel of the word of God. 830 times is not a casual mention of sin. You can't read through the Gospels and and not find Jesus Christ confronting sin, confronting error, talking about the wages of sin being death, talking about how there is a heaven and there is a hell, talking about how people will be sent to hell. Now, you might be saying there, you know, I, I've read you the transcription, you might be saying, you know what, Ted, come on. That's not, that's not very loving. Uh, you know, we didn't come to church to bash on another pastor or another, you know, we did that's not very loving, take a different tack. Well, Turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me, if you would. Hold that thought. Just turn to Matthew chapter 7. And let's see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 7, we'll start in verse 13. Jesus says this. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are, what's the word? Many who go in by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, take a walk with this verse, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Joel Osteen would add, don't they sincerely love God? 
Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I'm all for loving people. I'm all for being long-suffering and bearing with people and trying to lead them patiently to the truth. But as I said, hell is hot, forever is a long time. And we have a responsibility to be ambassadors of Christ and to preach the gospel, to take the good news to all, to all the nations, to all the people. That, that means, guys, it's not loving for you to say, I'm not going to talk about sin. I'm just going to tell people that Jesus loves them. You may, you may be just encouraging somebody along in a road and in a path and in a way of life and in a belief system that is going to lead them to hell. And I'll tell you, that's not love. And I, and I choose these words. There's a lot of, of, of heresy that we could talk about that's happening in the church today. I seize on this one for a couple of reasons. One, this is the largest church in America. This is the pastor of the largest church in America. Okay, let's just let that sink in. This is the predominant faith of Americans today. God loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life and your pornography and your drugs and your alcohol. Yeah, he's not too keen on those, but, you know, he'll look the other way. Wink, wink. No. There is a God in heaven. He has given us the propitiation for our sins, the the payment for our sins in Jesus Christ. But to come to Christ by faith and to receive the forgiveness that He has for us and to walk in newness of life requires a surrendering. And it requires us, if you'll go back to the book of Jude, and if I can just direct your attention again, to the very first few words, Jude says, I am a slave of Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about a home, Jesus is my homeboy kind of wink-wink relationship. I'm talking about Jesus is the Lord of your life. And you guys have heard the saying, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. And that's what we're talking about here. Now, I want to be clear. This goes way beyond Joel Osteen. All right? He, he's just one of many who are preaching a feel-good gospel. Um, he's one of many who are not teaching the entire counsel of the Word of God. And I want to draw your attention to another movement that's going on right now. I just want a few, spend a couple of minutes on it. Uh, it's called the Emergent Church Movement. And I want to bring this up because this is really big right now. And there's some well-known authors that are associated with that and some ch- well-known churches. And I want you to be aware. I want you to be discerning. The Emergent Church Movement, their philosophy of ministry, basically, uh, starts off here. They say that the morals and the values of our society have changed, that we live in a very different society now than many of us grew up in, and that the old methods that we used to use to reach people aren't working anymore. And to which I say I agree with it all. Absolutely. That's true. Uh, so, you know, again, we need new methods to reach an evolving culture. No problem there. I, I, okay, cool. I agree with you. But they take it a step farther, and this is where they enter into the realm of heresy. They, said, they say that we need to re-examine our old faiths to adapt them to a more enlightened generation. In other words, what they're saying is, hey, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago by guys who were out of touch with 20th century people. 21st century lifestyle. And so since we're more enlightened now, some of the dogmatic doctrines that they adhered to way back when, you know, they don't really apply now. We need to reinterpret them according to to the, the culture in which we live. 
Let, let me tell you the foolishness of that. That's similar to when I used to take my boat over to Catalina uh, and I would have the compass there to keep me on course. And, and it would be like me saying, you know what, I've been to Catalina 50 times. I don't need the compass anymore. Yeah, I've told you guys the story. I take my dad over there for the first time. It's foggy. It's usually foggy when you go over there. You, you get three quarters of the way across. You can't see the island. It's a little blip out there in the Pacific Ocean. And, and so I'm, following, I'm on the boat, man, following the compass heading. And my dad's like, you know, the island's not there. It's over there. I'm like, Dad, trust me. It's over there. That's what the compass says. He goes, I know it. I grew up here. It, the island's over there. I'm like, if it's all saying to you, Dad, I'm going to trust the compass. And when we hit the island, you can all say, I told you so. And sure enough, there's the island. My dad's like, I could have sworn it was over there. Yeah, that's what the emergent church is talking about doing. They're talking about taking, re-examining our old faiths to adapt them to a more enlightened generation. They're saying that the scriptures, which were once bedrock foundations of our faith, are now open for interpretation. That they, we can, you know, m- manipulate them to fit our more superior understanding of truth. And of course, I have a big problem there. Now, not surprisingly, those who embark on the emergent church path, they have a very low view of Scripture. Would you agree? And, and just, you know, as an alternative for us, when we say simply Jesus, this is what I mean. We teach the Word of God. That's all we're ever going to teach. You're not going to come here and hear a message about 12 ways that you can be a better you. I'm not that guy. And if you're looking for that, it's not here at this church. We want you to know the Lord. We want you to rightly divide His Word because this is the compass by which we set our life. And if, and if we fall into any other trap, if we go in any alternate direction, we're going to find ourselves shipwrecked. And guys, going to hell. And I don't want you to go to hell. And you say, Pastor Ted, you've said hell a lot in this message, and I'm uncomfortable with it. (laughs) You know what? I'm uncomfortable with it too, which is why I want you to know the truth. And I want us to be those that are going to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and that what's going to happen here in this fellowship, in our home Bible studies, uh, in, in all that we put our name on, that it will be... We're about Jesus. And that means we're about knowing Him, studying His Word, being transformed into His image. Now, just a couple more things on this emergent church. Three guys are kind of the point men in the emergent church movement. A guy by the name of Rob Bell, a guy by the name of Brian McLaren, and another guy by the name of Doug Paget. Now, I want to share some, some quotes with you. By the way, Rob Bell's the pastor of, of um, Mars Hill Church, but not the one in, in Seattle, not to be confused with that. I think they're in Michigan. So Rob Bell says this. He says, the Bible does not consist of, quote, first and foremost timeless truths, end quote. In other words, he says the, the Bible's subject to error, subject to change. You can't rely on it. Brian McLaren says the same thing. He says, scripture is, quote, not a look it up encyclopedia of timeless moral truths, end quote. Same thing, just said a different way. You can't trust the Bible. That's what he's saying. Doug Paget says this. Biblical theology is, quote, ever-changing, and the complex truths of the Bible meant for all people in all places and for all times are simply not possible, end quote. Not surprisingly, the emergent church movement calls into question some foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Is Jesus fully God? They question that. Was he really born of a virgin? Did he die on the cross in the place for our sins? Was it necessary for Jesus to die for us? Is there really a hell? And is anyone really going there? Do you need Jesus to go to heaven? Is sex outside of marriage wrong? Is homosexuality sinful? These are all questions that the emergent church is is, is posing, and, and they won't answer the questions. When you say, is homosexuality wrong? They'll dodge the question. They won't answer it. They'll just simply say, well, we don't know if it's wrong in our emergent culture. 
We, we live in a, in a new age, an enlightened age. And, and while the Bible spoke so dogmatically about homosexuality, you know what? I think that things have changed. And that's the, the, that's the position they'll take. Writing for Christian Research Institute, here's what Pastor Mark Driscoll said about the emergent church movement. Quote, the cults of the modern world, such as Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, sprang forth from the infecting of biblical truth by modern philosophy. Unless there is correction, similar cults will spring forth from the infecting of biblical truth by postmodern, that's the emergent church, uh, philosophy. With Rob Bell and Doug Paget recently participating in the Dalai Lama's Seeds of Compassion Tour, by praying with members of other religion and sitting on the stage as panelists discussing the need for unity between all religions, I fear that they may already have passed the end of the road, end quote. And I would agree with them. So what's all that mean to you? Here's what it means. And, and, and like I said, we're not going to get through this entire book. But what it means to you is that you need to know what you believe and you need to know why you believe it. And, and you need not to be led astray by the aberrant uh, ph- philosophies of ministry, the aberrant teachings that are so prevalent in our day and age. It means you need to know your Bible, guys. That's what it means. And I would say, if you don't know your Bible, shame on you. If you name the name of Christ and you don't know your Bible, you need to. Zach was, was right today in saying, this is, we need to know who we worship. We need to know why we worship. We're exhorted to contend for the faith. You can't be a contender if you're not in training. Okay? You can't, you can't, oh, I was a contender. No, not if you didn't train, you weren't. You were a guy that went to get knocked out. That's what you were. And you can't contend for the faith if you're not yourself being built up in your most holy faith. And, and it's so beautiful. This morning, my wife had a great privilege of, of leading a woman to, to faith in Christ this morning. And, and the conversation was preceded with her saying, I, I have I've been a member of, and she named some, some cult things that she'd been a member of. And she's like, I mean, just, they've messed me up and I'm trying to find the truth. And, and we were exhorting her, get in a Bible study, learn the word of God. This is what needs to happen. She dedicates her heart to the Lord. And, and now the exhortation is get plugged in. We've got too many Bible studies for you to have any excuse not to be involved in a home fellowship. And as you get to know the Lord, as you take in his word, as you study it, this is what's going to make a difference in your life. You'll be able to refute the heresy that comes along. You'll be able to live in, in, in a relationship with God that's powerful And that's what we want for you, and it's what the Lord wants. Now, Jude uh, goes here, and he basically uses three Old Testament examples, and he throws in all of these things. There's some deep stuff here. I'll take a first Wednesday to explain one of them, because it's just, like, huge. Uh, Take 45 minutes just to explain it. But basically what he's going to go through, and we'll, we'll just cover it real quickly and we'll be done, is three Old Testament examples of those who turned from following after God. Uh, and and who who missed out. So, verse 5, he says, I want to remind you, uh, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. 
Now, uh, we'll get into this next week, so forgive me, I'm just going to gloss over for the sake of time. But, but he, for, he gives three examples, three Old Testament examples. Here's the point. He, first of all, he starts with the Jews. He says, they saw the miracles in the Exodus. They were part of the congregation that was delivered from bondage in Egypt. But they lacked faith. And so what happened was when God said, there's the promised land, go get it. Uh, Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, cool, let's go. And the rest of them said, we can't do that. And they convinced and persuaded the whole nation to like freak out. And God was ready to strike them all dead. And Moses begged and interceded. And basically God said, all right, here's the deal. That whole generation can't go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that get to go. And the picture for us is clear. What he's saying here is, look, there's, there's false doctrine and there's guys leading you astray and you need to decide which faith you're going to follow because basically there's two primary faiths. We're going to talk about more of this the next, next week. When he, when he talks about they've fallen into the error of Cain. And the, the issue here is that, that Cain was the guy who brought the offering of the flesh. Right? And, and Abel was the guy that brought the offering, uh, the, the, the pure offering. Abel brought the, the sacrifice of a, of, a, of a lamb, the blood of the lamb, the, the offering that points to Christ. Cain brought the offering that was the work of his hands. And that's what it comes down to every single time. Is that, are you going to worship God by the work of your hands, by doing good, by trying harder, by having, you know, those things that you incorporate into how you live your life? Or are you going to worship and follow after God? By faith. And that's his point here with his first example. He says, look, the Jews, they wouldn't follow God by faith. They wouldn't enter in. And, and so, you know, the, exam, or the, the point of application for you and me. They serve as an example that you can come to church, you might even be a member of the church, and you can still be going to hell. That's the point. Okay? That's a sobering thought. One question on the entrance exam to heaven, guys. What did you do with Jesus? That's the question. If you get that one wrong, you get it all wrong. The second example he gives is the angels who didn't keep their proper domain. This is one of those zingers we haven't got time with, and I will spend a first Wednesday just talking about this. Uh, there's two possible possibilities that he's talking about. He's either talking about the third of the angels that fell with Satan when he fell from heaven and was cast out of heaven, or, in what I believe is the more correct way, he's talking about those angels that, that intermingled, intermarried, Bred with humans, they left their proper domain and and they 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 sired children through through this un, unholy union that 's what he 's talking about and you know, it 's like wow that's that 's weird it is and and you know dude 's the only guy who throws this thing in and you 're like whoa that is that's that 's freaky but that 's what he 's talking about and then the, the you know they the angels serve basically as an example that you can be blessed with amazing spiritual gifts and you can still go to hell. You can, you can have amazing spiritual gifts and you can still be destined for hell. The question comes down, what are you going to do with Jesus? Third example he gives is Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a, a, we, Sodom and Gomorrah are known for their, their sexual perversity and their immorality, and that's true. But what preceded that was that God blessed them abundantly. I mean, when, when Lot looked down and he saw the fertile plains and he saw everything that was there, because it was just a, a land very rich and fertile, he looked down and he's like, yeah, that looks good to me. That would be a good place to raise cattle. Yeah, it would be a good, great place to raise cattle, horrible place to raise your kids. And that's where there he went headlong into this place. And Sodom and Gomorrah serve an example as how we can mistake material blessings for the approval of God. Take a walk with that. That, that we can be blessed by God financially, materially, and we can mistakenly believe that God's blessing us that way because He's approving of our lifestyle. It's not true. And you know the judgment that God brought down on Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Three Old Testament examples, and the message is clear, and we close with this. If you turn from God to follow your own way, if you deny the only Lord God, Jesus Christ, as verse 4 says, there's only one end for you, and its end is the way of death. There is no hope if you deny the Lord, if you turn and follow your own way instead of following the Lord. You can start out in the right direction. You can be part of the assembly of the, the church. You can follow after God in, 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 in that way. I'm a member of the church. I attend Reliance Church, whatever. And you can still go to hell if you haven't respond, re- surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ. You can be blessed with amazing spiritual gifts. But if you haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, you can go straight to hell. You can be blessed with abundant riches and have everything you need in life. And you can still go to hell. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? So, we're going to close with this thought. I want you just to take a walk with and pray through. And as we are partaking of communion, really prayerfully ask the Lord, who am I trusting in? What am I trusting in? You know, it, it, for salvation. What is your hope of salvation? Do you, do you think I have a right standing with God because I'm a big tither? Uh, or because of, you know, the, the good things that I do? Or do you have a right standing with God because Jesus Christ is Son of God who came and died in your place, laid His life down, and you've surrendered to Him, and you like Jude, you'd be able to say, I'm a slave of Jesus. And what He tells me to do, I do. Not that I'm perfect, but I'm following after Him. So what are you trusting in for salvation? What are you trusting in for, from day to day? What are the things you're putting your hope and your trust and your faith in? How are you living your life? Are you living it according to God's will for your life? Or are you living it according to your will for your life? It's tax time. A lot of you doing your taxes and, and, and you know, are you, are you going through those things? Are you cutting corners? Are you trying to manipulate things? Are you trying to make the numbers work on, on your own way and engineering your own thing? Or are you going to surrender to God? Are you going to be that person that just completely gives over and says, you know what? Apart from God, as Jesus said in John fifteen five, I can do nothing.